we all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp h-e-l-p.com slash gold in my early days i faced a pivotal moment in my career instead of following the herd into traditional finance i charted my own course despite skepticism i founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility through perseverance i established myself as a leading voice in finance proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed to get what you want sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail that's what harry's did seeing people tricked by expensive razors harry's took a stand Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harris.com slash gold for a $3 trial set. The Peter Schiff Show. Based on the feedback I got to the earlier portion of yesterday's podcast, where I was talking about my mixed emotions when it comes to the celebration of Independence Day in the United States, I wanted to elaborate on it and talk a little bit more about what it really means to be an American and what made being an American different than being uh, British or being German or being Spanish. And, you know, and I did mention yesterday that one of the key differences was that in most nations of the world, individuals gradually won freedoms that were granted to them uh, by a monarch where you know, the monarch had all of the power and over time privileges were granted uh, to subjects where they now got rights that they didn't previously have and they were granted uh, from above by the crown. Whereas in the United States, it was the opposite. We started with all of our rights. I mean, sure, initially we were British subjects, but after the Revolutionary War, we, you know, we left the, uh, the king and now we were a free, independent people. We were a collection of, uh, of colonies, but we were sovereign. And Americans had all of their rights and all of their powers not given to them by government, but they had them naturally. 
They were there by birth, as a birthright, a gift from God or from nature, not from government. But then Americans created their government, and they created government by surrendering some of their power, empowering government to do some things. And so American government was created from the people. And the government in America did not give us our rights. We gave the government its limited power. So in America, the people are the master. The government is the servant. Not the case in the rest of the world, right, where the government had supreme power. The government was the master and allowed privileges, allowed its servants to have more and more privileges over time. Well, since Americans' rights and liberties come from nature, come from God, then the government can't take them away because the government didn't give us these rights. We created the government to secure our rights. That's another thing that is uniquely American is that we have government not to give us stuff, but to simply secure our rights. And that is one of the things that bothers me about when Americans celebrate Independence Day today, because Americans really don't want freedom. What Americans want is free stuff. But free stuff is not freedom. Because when the government gives you something, number one, they take away your choice because they tell you what you're going to get and how you're going to get it. But when the government gives you something, they must take away something from somebody else. And when the government takes things from people, that diminishes their freedom. The servant is not supposed to steal from the master. But that is exactly what happens when the government promises to give somebody something They must take something away from somebody else. That is not what America is about. We are not supposed to have a government which robs its citizens, right? We're not supposed to rob from Peter to pay Paul. You know, if you look at how the U.S. government was established, look at the Constitution. The Constitution created the federal government, and it created the federal government. Prior to the Constitution, we were organized under the Articles of Confederation, And one of the criticisms of the Articles of Confederation was that the federal government was too small. And so they wanted to make it slightly larger. They didn't want to make it big and powerful. They just wanted it to have a little bit more power than the government did under the Articles. And so they enacted the Constitution. And if you read the Constitution, and of course, very few people do these days, or if they read it, they don't understand it. All of the powers of the federal government are contained in Article 1, Section 8. And it's not a big section. There's like, I think there's, what, 18 uh, enumerated powers in the Constitution. And the Constitution is written in two ways. It grants powers to the federal government, and then it denies powers to the states. And you know that by reading the 10th Amendment to the Constitution, to the Bill of Rights, which actually lays out how the Constitution is organized and that the federal government only has those powers that are expressly granted to it in the Constitution. And the states can do or reserve powers. They retain powers because the states already existed prior to the writing of the Constitution. And so if the Constitution didn't specifically prohibit the states from doing something, then it could do it. So the powers were either denied to the states or granted to the federal government. 
And, you know, we know what the Constitution means, not only because its writing is clear. Today, they say the Constitution needs to be interpreted, right? The Supreme Court is there to interpret the Constitution. The Constitution doesn't need to be interpreted, right? It's not written in Chinese. It's written in plain English. The Constitution needs to be applied. It needs to be enforced. It doesn't need to be interpreted. When people talk about interpreting the Constitution, they really talk about ignoring the Constitution and to impart meaning that doesn't exist because people who want to interpret the Constitution don't like what it says. And so they want to change the meaning. They want to expand the powers of the federal government. But if you look back at the Federalist Papers and look at what the founders wrote about the meaning of the document, right? look at uh, James Madison. I'm going to read in particular from Federalist Paper number 45. And if you don't know what the Federalist Papers are and you've never read them, it's a collection of, uh, of writings that were written at the time that the Constitution was being ratified and it was trying to generate support for the new Constitution. And it was James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and John Jay were the, the authors of what became to be known the Federalist Papers. But I want to just read one quote from Madison. And Madison is considered the father of the Constitution. So the father of a document ought to understand what is written right in the child, that is the U.S. Constitution. And this is what Madison writes in Federalist Paper number 45. The powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state governments are numerous and indefinite. The former will be exercised primarily on external objects as war, peace, negotiations, and foreign commerce, with which last the power of taxation will, for the most part, be connected. The powers reserved to the several states will extend to all objects which, in the ordinary course of affairs, concern the lives, liberties, and properties of the people and the internal order improvement and prosperity of the state. So in other words, here is James Madison saying the federal government's powers are few, few and defined, and that mainly it is going to be involved in external affairs, right? In war, in peace, in trade negotiations. And that is where taxes, right, are going to be. It's this taxes will be associated with these functions. So the government will need taxes in case there's a war, to provide for the army. But everything else, everything that has to do with domestic affairs, that's all going to be done by the states. This is what a Madison wrote. Now, when you think of the federal government today and you think of all the things the federal government does, do you think that the federal government's powers are few and defined? But I want to go and read from the Constitution. This is Article 1, Section 8. This is where all the powers of Congress are laid out. These are the few powers that Madison was referring to. And I'm going to start by reading the beginning of it. It says that the Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises, to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. That's it. This is what the government is empowered to do. It can lay taxes. And of course, there are other uh, limiting factors in the way they can tax. But Assuming that they raise taxes in a constitutional manner, they can only do it to pay the debts of the United States and to provide for the common defense and general welfare. That's it. Now, then below that, they go out and enumerate 
specific things that they can do. But that one little paragraph right, has been misinterpreted by Supreme Courts to mean that pretty much the government can do whatever it wants. Right? Today, they say that, well, the general welfare means anything the government wants to do, it can do. And the general welfare gives the government broad and unlimited powers. Well, how can that be? If the federal government has few powers, how can the general welfare mean that it can do whatever it wants? It doesn't. The general welfare means things that benefit everybody. It is not the specific welfare of an individual or of a region or of a group or or of a state. It is something that benefits everybody equally, right? When the government does something that benefits a particular individual or a particular group, whether it's, uh, let's say, a welfare payment or if it's aid, maybe there's a flood somewhere and they, they give aid to the flood victims, that doesn't benefit the whole country. It benefits the people who get the aid at the expense of the people who have to pay for that aid. None of that falls under the general welfare. Now, they try to argue that, well, the whole country is better off if we take money from some people and give it to others. No, it's not. That is not general welfare. That is specific welfare. And the government does not have the power constitutionally to spend for the specific welfare of anybody. It can only spend for the general welfare of everybody. You know, also, interestingly, it says that it can pay the debts of the United States, right? That's it. It cannot pay the debts of other nations. Yet, think about all the time that the United States obligates Americans to pay debts of foreign countries, foreign governments. It's not allowed to do that. And more specifically, look at the very first power that is enumerated under this paragraph, that they can borrow money on the credit of the United States. So Congress shall have the power to borrow money on the credit of the United States. Where does it say that they have the power to lend money? They don't. They can't lend money. Yet you have the government lending money to all sorts of of groups or uh, individuals. It provides loans, provides subsidies, it provides guarantees. None of that is authorized by the Constitution. In fact, again, if you look at Article 1, Section 8 and read these powers, and I'm going to read the rest of them here, to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes, right? To regulate commerce with foreign nations. Commerce. Now, the problem with that little sentence, to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states, this is now known as the Commerce Clause. And apparently, according to the Supreme Court, this also gives the government broad powers to do whatever it wants. You know, I talk a lot about the minimum wage. You know, the minimum wage was originally considered unconstitutional. And the way they said it was constitutional was they said, well, it's they're regulating commerce. Well, what does the minimum wage have to do with commerce? Well, what these idiots in the Supreme Court said is that since the Congress is given the power to regulate commerce, they can regulate anybody who's engaged in commerce. That is not what the clause says. See, the, the Supreme Court justified the minimum wage by saying, well, Any company that's engaged in interstate commerce, then the government can make any rules that it wants. And so since you engage in interstate commerce, we're going to force you to have the minimum wage. In fact, initially, if you can prove that what you did, you know, there was no interstate commerce, that you were producing a product that was only consumed uh, within your state, then you could say, well, I'm not going to have to abide by the minimum wage because I'm not engaging in interstate commerce. But then, you know, the government found ways of saying, well, in your company? Are you using something? 
that was imported or from another state or using a product that traveled on a road that you know originated in another you know they, they found a way of saying look any company that uses anything that that originated within another state is engaged in interstate commerce and so they were able to, to make the net bigger and bigger to ensnare more and more businesses under this clause but this clause does not give congress the power to regulate companies that engage in commerce they only have the right to regulate the commerce itself right meaning that okay you know you're not going to have tariffs between one state and another right you can make sure that there's a, a, a free flow of goods and services over state borders there is nothing here that gives the federal government the power to regulate each business that engages in commerce it's not there here look at the next thing to establish and uniform rule of nationalization and uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies throughout the United States. Okay, so they can set up a bankruptcy code. I mean, if the general welfare meant that they could do whatever they wanted, I mean, what's the point of having the rest of Article 1, Section 8? I mean, why not just say the federal government could do whatever it wants and just leave it at that? Right? What's the point of enumerating these powers? Here, then it says to coin money, regulate the value thereof, and a foreign coin, and fix the standards of weights and measures. Why bother? If general welfare means they can do whatever the hell they want, then, you know, then obviously they can coin money. And, you know, coin money doesn't mean print money. It means to coin money. It means to take gold and silver and turn it into a coin. Now, how do I know that? Well, I know that in a couple of reasons. One, if you go to Article 1, Section 10, which is the portion of the Constitution that denies powers to the states, the states are denied not only the right to coin money, but the right to emit bills of credit. That was paper money. They called it bills of credit. And the state was specifically denied the ability to do both. So they couldn't coin money and they can't issue bills of credit. The only thing the states can do is make gold and silver legal tender. Now, there's nothing in Article 1, Section 8 that gives the federal government the right to make anything legal tender. All they can do is coin money, but they can't make anything legal tender. It's only the states that can make something legal tender, and they're prohibited from making anything other than gold and silver legal tender. So since the only thing that the Constitution says can be legal tender is gold and silver, and if the Congress has the power to coin money, then what are they going to coin? Gold and silver, because that's the only thing that can be money. Also, there was earlier drafts of the Constitution, and in the, the earliest drafts, the Constitution said that Congress shall have the power to coin money and emit bills of credit. But they voted to eliminate emit bills of credit. And I think they struck it nine to two because the states specifically did not want the federal government printing money. And so they took away the power. So they don't have it. Now, of course, if the general welfare meant they could do whatever they want, well, then gee, they could just print money and say it's for the general welfare. But obviously, that wasn't the case because they put that power in there and then they took it away. And in fact, one of the reasons that the Federal Reserve was created was because they were doing something that Congress had no authority to do. They were creating paper money. They were issuing bills of credit. So since the federal government couldn't do it constitutionally, they created this private company, right, the Federal Reserve, a private corporation, to do indirectly what the Constitution prohibited the federal government from doing directly. Well, let me read down more of these powers. To provide for the punishment of counterfeiting, the securities and the current coin of the United States. That's one of the federal crimes counterfeiting here. To establish post offices and post roads. Now, why bother writing that in there, right? I mean, 
I mean, couldn't you make an argument that the post office is for the general welfare and, you know, we need roads, you know, for the general welfare? Well, no, they put it in there. That proves that they needed to put it in there. They, if they didn't put it in there, somebody could have argued that Congress has no authority uh, to establish a post office because it's not for the general welfare. Now, to me, a post office is much more for the general welfare than almost everything else the government does, because at least, you know, anybody who wants to use the post office benefits from post offices. But apparently they thought that they needed to enumerate it to make sure that the federal government could actually do it. Now, obviously, that shows that they, they knew that general welfare didn't mean they could do whatever the hell they want, because whatever the hell they want would include post office here to promote the progress of science and the useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. Here, patents, copyrights is provided in the Constitution. Why bother? The government can do whatever it wants. Then, you know, why bother listing that? Here, tribunals inferior to the Supreme Court to define and punish piracy and felonies committed on the high seas and offenses against the laws of nation to declare war, grant letters of mark and reprisal, and make rules concerning captures on land and water, to raise and support armies, but by no appropriation of money to the use shall be for a longer term than two years, to provide and maintain a navy, to make rules for the government and regulations for the land and naval forces. Now, I guess you can include you know, the Air Force now, because obviously they didn't have airplanes uh, back in uh, the time that they ratified the Constitution, but clearly... You can make an argument that an Air Force would fall within the same powers of national defense, general welfare, right? To provide for calling forth the militia, to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrection and repel invasion, to provide for organizing, arming and disciplining the militia and for the governing of such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, servicing to the states respectively to the apportionment of officers and authorities of maintaining militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over the district, right? Not exceeding 10 square miles, as made by session of particular states and the acceptance of Congress. They're talking about Washington, D.C., because the seat of government of the United States and to exercise like authority over all places purchased by the consent of the legislature of the state in which the state shall be from the erection of forts, uh, magazines, arsenals, dockyards, and others needing buildings, etc., and, and this is another, this is the final part, and this is another part that the Supreme Court has twisted uh, to try to create the, the Constitution. They now describe it as a living, breathing document. This is now the elastic clause, what I'm about to read. This little passage, this sentence has done tremendous damage to our country. To make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and other powers vested by this Constitution in the government of the United States or in any department or agency thereof. Now, what that basically means is they have the power to enact laws to be able to do what Article 1, Section 8 says they can do. And that's it. So they have the right to establish a post office. Okay, we see that. So they can enact the laws that are necessary and proper to having a post office. It does not mean that they could do whatever they want. Like the Supreme Court says, this is some kind of elastic clause. Congress can do whatever they feel is necessary and proper. If that was the point, 
then we wouldn't need to enumerate these powers. We would just say Congress could do whatever it wants. But if Congress could really do whatever it wants, if it can tax however it wanted, if it can spend for whatever reason it wanted, then why would James Madison, the father of the Constitution, say that the federal government's powers are few and defined? According to the current Supreme Court, they're infinite. They're not defined at all. The government can do whatever it wants, which is clear nonsense if you look at the Constitution. I mean, look at these powers of Congress, legislative branch, Article 1, Section 8. There, this is a short section of the Constitution. There's nothing in here about the government providing health care. There's nothing in here about the government involvement in education. In, none of this is written in here. There's nothing in here about uh, old age pensions. There's nothing in here about uh, programs for the poor, anti-poverty programs. There's nothing in here about emergency aid, about disaster relief. I mean, all the things that the federal government now does are completely unconstitutional. There is no congressional or constitutional authority for any of these expenditures. When the government creates these agencies, departments for housing to guarantee mortgages and to provide mortgages and to guarantee student loans, none of that stuff is authorized. I mean, again, I read earlier, Congress has the right to borrow money. They don't have the right to lend money. Why doesn't it say it here? If the founders wanted the government to make loans, it would say to lend money. It doesn't say that. If the founders wanted the federal government to guarantee private debts of citizens, it would say that too. It would say Congress shall have the power to guarantee the debts of students, to guarantee the debts of homeowners who take out mortgages. None of that is there. The only thing that the federal government can do is what is specifically authorized it can do in the Constitution. And again, that is what makes America, America. It is the limiting powers of the federal government. We came together as free, sovereign people and created a federal government to secure our rights and secure our liberties, and that's it. We didn't create the government to give us anything that we didn't already have. You have all these people now demanding stuff from government, demanding rights. You don't demand rights. What they want are privileges. You know, one of the things that the Constitution says is there'll be no titles of nobility in this country. We didn't want to have anybody to have special privileges. That's what the noble class was, right? They had special privileges that the commoners didn't have. Well, there is no nobility in the United States because no one man is above another. We are all created equal. We all have our inalienable rights of life, liberty, property, the pursuit of happiness. And it's up to us to pursue happiness. It's not up to the government to bestow it upon us. If you don't have something, you don't look to the government to give it to you. What the government is there to do is to protect what you have naturally, to make sure other people cannot infringe on your rights, that they can't take things away from you, that you are secure in your possessions and your property. But when the government promises to give somebody something, by definition, it has to take something away from somebody else. And that is a violation of everything that it means to be an American. And so when we are celebrating the 4th of July, what we really need to be doing is mourning the death of that nation, the death of liberty, the death of independence. What we have now is dependence. Every American wants to depend on everybody else. This nation is not supposed to be a nation of dependence. It is supposed to be a nation of rugged individuals, sovereign men and women whose rights are supreme, who do not bow down to a government master. The government is the servant of the people. And that doesn't mean you send your servant out to steal 
from your fellow Americans, it means that you respect their rights and their property. And if you want health care, then you got to go out and you've got to earn it on your own. That is the birthright of every American to go out and to achieve and earn to the best of their ability. Now, you might say, well, what if some people don't have that ability? What if some people aren't ambitious or aren't intelligent and they get sick? Well, you know what happens in a free society? You ask your fellow free citizens for their help and they voluntarily give it. And that's what America was about for a long time. We had a huge tradition of philanthropy. In fact, we still do. But I think that tradition has been diminished over the generations based on the cultivation of the welfare state, based on the enormous federal government and the taxing uh, you know, that it does, where it confiscates so much wealth from productive Americans that those Americans are struggling just to get by. So they clearly don't have enough resources to help Americans uh, who, for whatever reason, cannot achieve the things that they need, right? There, there was, I think, a lot more charitable giving 100 years ago than there is today because the government allowed uh, Americans to keep more of what they earned. And since they kept more of what they earned, uh, they obviously had more money with which to be charitable. And of course, the principal benefit of private versus public charity is that private charity, A, is voluntary, but it's much more efficient because individuals make sure that the recipients of the aid are the principal beneficiaries of the money. Whereas when government is organized supposedly to supplant the free market and perform charitable giving, the vast majority of the money confiscated from the public does not go to the intended recipients of the charity, but it goes to maintain the government bureaucracy. When the government takes a dollar from a citizen by force, it only gives 10 cents to some poor person. 90 cents are consumed by the apparatus of government. Whereas in the private sector, let's say a private charity raises a dollar in voluntary donations, 90 cents goes to the intended recipient and only 10 cents goes to pay the administrative costs of the charity. So it is much more efficient when charitable giving is done voluntarily by the free market, not coercively uh, by a powerful government. But again, more importantly than the economics of it, it is the politics of it. The government simply does not have the power. Where in Article 1, Section 8, does it give the government the right to be a charity? Where does it say the government is there to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to care for the sick, to house uh, the homeless. None of that is there. And you can't say that that is part of the general welfare because it's clearly not. Again, look to the, the Federalist Papers. Look at how the people who wrote the Constitution described what the general welfare meant and what it didn't mean. And if the general welfare meant they could do whatever it wanted, then what was the point of listing all of these other specific things the government could do if all those things were included in the general welfare? They were not. The writers of the Constitution were simply talking about the government doing things that benefit the entirety of the nation as a whole, right? Not for any one particular faction or group or region. And this has been blown out of proportion 
just like the Commerce Clause, just like the Necessary and Popper Clause, the Supreme Court has done a, a tremendous disservice to America by so broadening the scope of federal powers so that now the government can do whatever it wants. And so I started off on this podcast by talking about what made it unique to be an American. None of that exists anymore. Thanks to the Supreme Court, thanks to the usurpation of power by the federal government that was specifically denied to it by the Constitution or not authorized to it by the Constitution, we now have an all-powerful federal government that can do whatever the hell it wants. And therefore, there's nothing special about being American. There's nothing now that defines us or makes us different. If we now have a sovereign nation and we simply exist based on the charity of that government, that that government simply claims ownership to everything that we have, they can take all of our money. There's no limit to how much they can tax us. There's no limit to what they can spend our money on. I mean, we have to be grateful for any money they let us keep. And in fact, that's how they look at it. The government basically today in America looks like they own 100% of our paychecks. And whatever they let us keep, we should be grateful for the crumbs, right? They own all of our labor. It's like we all live on one gigantic plantation and we're all slaves to the U.S. government. And we have to beg the government for whatever they let us keep, right? This is not the way America was founded. This is not what we're supposed to be honoring when we talk about Independence Day. It's so unfortunate that we've lost our independence. And why did we lose it? Because we voted it away. Americans were, were, were lulled into a false sense of confidence by being promised something from government. And that is it. And that is what the framers said when they gave us this republic. And again, if you want to look at the Constitution, the Constitution doesn't mention the word democracy. It doesn't mention it once. What it mentions is republic. The Constitution says that the the United States shall guarantee to every state in the union a Republican form of government. And that doesn't mean Republicans, Democrats. It means Republic. It doesn't mean democracy. But because we became a democracy, when Benjamin Franklin was asked, what have you given us, Mr. Franklin? He said, a Republic, if you can keep it, because he knew how difficult it was to maintain a Republic. America was an experiment in self-government. It was an experiment in allowing the people to create a government of limited powers, right? They didn't set up a monarchy. They could have created the United States as a monarchy. They could have made George Washington a king. In fact, they wanted to make him a king. He didn't want to be a king, right? So we could have created another monarchy, a constitutional monarchy. We could have limited the power of the monarch. And you know, in hindsight, we might have been better off had we done that. We were very successful for the first 100, 150 years. But unfortunately, we couldn't keep... Uh, that republic, for long, we had the progressive movement, and then we had the New Deal, and then we had the Great Society, and now here we are, right? We've lost all the things that the founders feared would happen, happened. It took a while, but it happened. But that is why I said at the beginning, it is with mixed emotions that I celebrate the 4th of July, because I know, I know what this country was, and I know what it, what it should be, and I know what it could be, potentially. But unfortunately, I know what it's become. The nation of the handout, the nation of entitlements, the nation of ask not what you could do for your country, ask what your country can do for you. I mean, amazing that Jack Kennedy actually spoke those words, but do you, does that have anything to do with the Democratic Party? All it is is about what my country can do for me. What can I get for free? And nobody has any conception of where all that free stuff comes from. It comes from stealing from other people. It comes from eliminating freedom, 
eliminating liberty. You can't, you know, you're talking about, oh, I want all this free health care. Provided by whom? I mean, are we going to conscript the doctors into service and force them to provide health care to people? I mean, you have to think about where does health care come from? Doctors, hospitals, the, you know, people have to volunteer their time. You can't conscript them. You can't force them. You can't compel them to do work. That's involuntary servitude. So it is, it is very unfortunate the way the character of this great republic has changed over time and what it means. Because Americans, you know, we used to walk around, and of course, not me because I wasn't alive back then, but Americans, when they traveled the world, Americans knew how different they were, how special it was to be an American. It's not that special anymore. It's no different than being anybody else. You got all sorts of governments now that are big and powerful and can do whatever they want. So what is what is the difference between being an American? Yes, at one point we were a great, powerful, wealthy country. That's not America today. We are mired in debt. We borrow money from everybody. We owe money to everybody, right? Americans have no savings. They, you know, we the government tells us what we can do, what we can do, what we can eat, what we can't eat, what drugs we can take, what drugs we can't take. There's no almost nothing in our lives that the government doesn't tell us what we can do. And this is not what it's supposed to be to be an American. Americans are supposed to be sovereign, free individuals deciding for themselves what they're going to do. And if they make a bad decision, well, that's it, right? We have to live with the consequences of our decisions. If we make a good decision, we profit. If we make a bad decision, then we suffer. And we mind our own business. We don't tell our neighbors what to do. We allow people to make their own mistakes because you know what? Maybe they're not going to make a mistake. If you think you know better what your neighbors should do, you don't. Most people have a hard enough time doing what's right for themselves, but trying to impose what you believe is right on other people when you don't even bear the consequences if your decisions are wrong. So go if you haven't, again, go and read the Constitution. Most people probably have never even looked at it. Read it. Right? It's, again, it's not written in Chinese. It doesn't need to be interpreted. It's easy to see what this nation was supposed to be. Read, go get the book, read the entirety of the Federalist Papers. And if you really want to get into it, read the Elliott Debates. Learn about the Constitution, because you're not going to learn about it in school. You know, they don't teach anything about what the Constitution really means in American schools. So do yourself a favor and learn about what it means, what it really means to be an American, what it used to mean to be an American. Unfortunately, it doesn't mean this today, but it should mean this. And hopefully one day, America will reclaim its heritage and we will one day be the free people that the founding fathers intended us to be and the free people that built the most powerful, the wealthiest country in the history of the world. The middle class was built in America by freedom. It wasn't built by government programs and by handouts and by redistribution. It was built on the foundation of freedom and liberty. The government didn't get involved. These things happened on their own. It was government involvement that slowed down the progress and ultimately reversed it. And the problems that we have today are not a byproduct of the failure of the free market, but of a failure of government to allow the free market and as a failure of the Supreme Court to allow the government, the federal government, to usurp powers not authorized to it by the Constitution and destroy the very nature of this republic from one of limited government with powers few and far between and powerful sovereign individuals to a nation of an all-powerful federal government 
with unlimited power to wreak all the havoc that it wants and citizens that are mere slaves of a government master. (laughs) 